Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Straight out of Austin, Texas, it's On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com, with your hosts, statesman sports columnists, Cedric Golden and Kirk Bowles. Often imitated, never duplicated. Hear it here first on Second Thought. On Second Thought episode 269, brought to you by Hook'em.com, our good friends at Bud Light. Cedric Golden here with the Doug Kirk Bowles, historic podcast today. My guy, CBS Austin Sports Director. Bobaloo, I call him Bobby B, is joining us to talk everything Texas football. We're going to ask him about a certain prediction he made, but in front of his 6 million viewers. Bob, what's up? 6 million, huh? I don't know where you got that. I thought it was way more than that. Ah. But, uh, <laughs> this, is, this, is, uh, this is a true honor to be on with you guys. You guys know how much I love you and everything you guys do. Uh, here in Austin and, and what you do for this community, what you do in the sports world, but outside it too. So uh, this is really special for me to, to get to do this with you guys. Bob, you're such a big guy. You've been so entrenched in this market. Why the hell are you not in New York or Chicago or LA? <laughs> um, you know, I've never really pursued that. I, if I was, when I got into this business, I really wanted to be somewhere that was a, a cool city with um, great sports to cover. and that was pretty much my goal. And when I got here, um, I, I think the only place I really ever wanted to go outside of here was Dallas, just because I'm from there. Uh, I grew up there. Cowboys, Rangers, Maverick stars were always my four favorite teams. Um, you know, a Fox sports Southwest at the time, or now Bally sports Southwest um, ESPN were always, I always thought about that stuff, but you know, I didn't want to live in Connecticut. That was, you know, the, for ESPN, that was a big part of it too. Who does? Um, <laughs> it's, you know, I mean, it's this, this place, this city, everything about it, um, single or married, is is just a fantastic place to live. And I, I just love being here. You know, um, you, you talked about living in a great city and covering great sports. And why did you leave San Antonio? I mean, that, that was a spot. That was a spot. And it was a lot cheaper. Yeah, there, there were some... Um, there were some contractual issues that came up at the time. Very nice. Uh, some things that I wasn't exactly pleased with. And I loved my time in San Antonio. Don't get me wrong. But I actually just kind of took a chance. I took a chance on myself and said I didn't have a job lined up. I just said at the time, um, I feel like I can do more. And when I told them of my decision, probably two weeks later, this opportunity popped up uh, in Austin. And I was fortunate enough to you know, come down and interview. and. Um, had a, had a, had a tremendous interview at the time and they, they wanted to move fast with it and it just happened to work out perfectly with my contract. So very blessed on that front because I don't know where I'd be right now or what I would have done if this opportunity hadn't popped up. Well, well, when did you know, I want to be a sports anchor. I know you grew up in the market where Dale Hansen's kind of an institution and icon. 
when did you know I want to do that? I want to be a sports anchor. Yeah, you know, watching Dale growing up was my was my inspiration. That was my uh, the guy that I looked to. I, I just remember watching him and thinking to myself, if you can do sports with that much joy and that much opinion, and that he was just doing it in a different way than anyone I'd ever seen do it. And I loved that. Scott Sams was the morning anchor at WFAA, and he was my Bible school teacher growing up. And he took us out to the station one day when I was probably 13. Mm -hmm. And I have a picture in a, I think it was a starter jacket or something like sitting on the anchor desk. My mom still has it in a frame in her house because she was like, this is the first time you were ever on set. And it was Scott Sams. And we, uh, we took a tour and I really liked it. But watching Dale was kind of my thing where I went, you know, I, I probably could have played sports in college at a division two or division three level, um, soccer or basketball. But when I got down to it, I just said, it's time for me to move on. And when I came down to te- my, my parents went to Texas, I bled burnt orange growing up. I think I've missed like four OU games since like 1984. So, I mean, it's always been entrenched in me. But when I came down here to go to Texas, I just assumed I'd go to Texas. And when I came down here, someone there that day said to me, if you want to do sports, go to uh, broadcast journalism, go to Missouri. And I was like, why would anyone want to go to Missouri for anything? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and uh, misery, right? That's what everybody says. Um, but I, I went to Mizzou, had a great visit up there, ended up deciding to go to Missouri. And I spent four years in school there, four years after working at the NBC affiliate with the legendary Chris Gervino. And, uh, and now I'm... I, I went on to San Antonio after that, but Columbia was great. Uh, it was just a great town, and it, and it worked out for me that, that Mizzou was the place to go. Here's the thing. I grew up in Tyler, and I grew up on Dale Hanson just like you did. WFAA, Dale Hanson, Jerry Orr, Vern Lundquist before. Um, we wanted you on this show because, Bob, you're the only sports director in Austin who gives opinion from time to time. And Kirk and I pay our bills by giving opinion. You know that not everybody is going to agree with an opinion. So how big an influence was Dale on you? Because I was a Dale Hanson, Randy Galloway guy. I read Galloway. I watched Dale. That was, that was my, those were my OGs. And so how a, important was that for you because you could have played it straight with your jobs and not done any commentary and been popular but when you do commentary you run that risk so how important was that and how much did you take that into consideration that not everybody's going to like what you have to say yeah I mean for sure I I think I probably touched on it a little bit in Columbia but I was 23 24 25 and and you can't really you don't have enough you know, um, grown, you ain't grown up yet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And even in San Antonio, a little bit, but but even there, it was still kind of more sur- surface. I, I didn't go deep on a lot of stuff. And when I got here, I, I probably didn't do it when I started. I, I think one of the things you really need to do in a market is establish yourself and not. I, I don't like coming in, you know, blazing saddles, just guns up, like let's just throw everything out. That's how you get run out of town. Absolutely, I think you need to know the market before you can do that. And I, you know, I remember one of the first commentaries I did that really got a lot of uh, blowback, and it was funny who the blowback was from, but it was when, you remember when Brittany Griner punched uh, Joy Barncastle at, at, in Lubbock, and Kim Mulkey suspended her for the final regular season game of the year and the first game of the Big 12 tournament, which neither game mattered to Baylor because they were <laughs> going to be a number one seed or number two seed. 
And, and I basically went off on Kim Mulkey for the suspension, um, certainly on Brittany a little bit for what she did. I think she was a freshman at the time, but, but more so for what Kim did in not suspending her longer, suspending her for the postseason or whatever it was to, to set the example. And I mean, the blowback from Baylor fans was, was crazy. Uh, they were, they were, you know, un, very unhappy and, um, and I don't limit, I, I want you to know, I'm, I'm just bringing this particular one up because it's the first one I really remember. I, you, you can't, you can't go one way and not the other. You can't, blast Baylor and not blast Texans. You can't blast the Cowboys, but not blast the Texans. I mean, you, you gotta, you gotta be able to be a reasonable journalist through all of this too, and, and not have any biases. And so I feel like I've done that, but I remember that one specifically just because of the, the number of calls and the number of emails. And I kind of felt like it was that moment of, okay, I've established myself here where there are enough people that care about what I say that they want they want to come after me. They want to, they want to have their opinions felt. And there were other people that went the other way too. Like, thank you for saying it. Uh, Greg Hardy was another big one. Urban Meyer oh. was another big one. I mean, there, there's some like that that really stick out to me, but you're right. The influence of Dale Hansen and watching what he did. And I don't, I don't get into politics like he did later in his career. I haven't done that as much. Um, but I think it's important. Number one, because sports is sports. This is, in the end, for the most part, not that serious. Now, the Greg Hardy, Urban Meyer situation, certainly sure. different. But um, for the most part, if you're going to give an opinion on something, you need to have the knowledge, have the people behind you to back you up. So so first and foremost, for CBS Austin to allow me to do that is fantastic. I mean, I, I, I don't – to have the – to have management say it's okay for you to give that opinion, I think is, is enormous. Um, but then behind that, to have – people that you know at certain spots to be able to give that opinion with, with something to back it up. Um, you know, you've got to have sources, you've got to have people you trust to, to talk through some of that stuff too. Um, and whether that's inside or outside of the actual situation itself. So I think that's been really important for me. Um, you know, I, I, I love doing it because sparking conversation in sports to me is very important. We have a, we have a journalistic um, ability to make a difference in communities, whether that's through charity, whether that's through commentating, whether that's through um, whatever it is we do. And I, I think it's vital that we use that platform when we, when we can and when it's available. And you obviously got the chops. Like you say, you've proven yourself in this market. You're a smart, knowledgeable guy. You don't go off half cocked and and i'd like to ask you about just kind of any heat you get any criticism i mean cedric and i we we get hate mail it comes in bulk mail so you know we have to have secretary bob we still get handwritten uh, (laughs) little old ladies love it and that's when we that's when we know we're doing our job if you piss off some people and other people like it i was curious as far as your relationship with coaches anybody in ut administration uh any stories or what you're feeling as far as, you know, getting blowback from uh, coaches or administrators? Yeah. I mean, not a ton. I mean, I think, I think, and maybe you guys can attest to this too, but I think in the end, if you have a coach's respect, um, if you have an administration's respect for what you do, they understand you have a job to do too. And your job sometimes is digging into what they're doing. Your job sometimes is, finding out, you know, the behind the scenes stuff that, that goes on at Texas or at other schools in the area. And I think they understand that for the most part. And the ones who don't, quite honestly, the ones who I've probably heard blowback from or seen blowback toward other people at our station or other places, 
don't end up staying around very long um, because I think they don't grasp what we do. Uh, not, not that that's necessarily the reason they leave the job or they get fired from the job or whatever it is, but I think you have to understand it. And I think, you know, right now with the administration that's in place at Texas, I think, I think the coaches that are there fully understand some of the criticisms that they get. I think Sark understands that going five and seven probably isn't the best thing for his future. You know, I mean, I, I don't think that getting criticism for that is something that he's, how could he not? You know what I mean? I mean, he's, he, he knows that's coming. Um, yeah. Same with Chris Del Conte. If there are things great, it's wonderful that all these, they won the director's cup. They won all these sports. I think in the end, you know, that football has to be better. You have to, you, football is your number one cash cow. It's the thing that makes everything run and it's got to be better. And so I, I think they get that. I, I really yeah. do. I think most administrations, even Austin FC to an extent, you, you look at what Austin FC did last year and how poor they played. Um, I think they understood we've got to be better, especially if we're going to get this town behind our team. And they took the steps to make the team better. Now they're, you know, second in the in second place in the MLS right now. Um, so I, I think, I think people get that. And I think when you do get blowback, when you get it from fans, you laugh it off. I think for the most part, I think Twitter and uh, <laughs> written notes and the things you guys were talking about, I think that's fine. You don't, you don't mind a lot of that stuff. And to be honest, when, when I get blowback from a lot of people, I think when you respond to them, they're surprised. Oh yeah. The people yeah, that attack exactly. you, they can't believe you're actually like either coming back at them or even just, I laugh a lot of it. Like somebody the other day, my, my thing on Texas and I think they're going to win the big 12 this year. A lot hold of Oklahoma on, fans, on, dog. a lot hold of Oklahoma on. fans came hold at me on. for that though. Let me set the table on that. One. <laughs> That's why we want you here. So I'm, buried I'm, the watching, lead, I'm, man. I'm, I'm watching CBS Austin Cause I, I, I tune in from 1027 to 1035 on weeknights to see Bobby B. And I see him on there saying, I'm an idiot. And I go, what? He's one of the smartest people I know. And then he goes, I think I'm an idiot because I think Texas is going to win the Big 12. And so right then and there, I'm like, Duck, we got to get Bob on. Got to get him on to talk about That's a crazy prediction. That's a, that, Duck does crazy predictions, but that one – that one got my attention. Please explain yourself, sir. Um, here's the thing. <laughs> what had happened was. What had happened? Uh, <laughs> no, listen, I, I just think um, this league is right for the taking this year. I think it starts there. I think the Big 12 is going through changes at every program. Um, certainly. Baylor, if you were just going to pick a team, it'd be Baylor or Oklahoma State, I think. I think that's what, what most people would say. Um, that said, Oklahoma just – there's just something about it. It's not a – this is not a knock on Brent Venables. It's not a knock on anything that's happening at Oklahoma. They'll, they'll still have good players. But I feel like they lost a lot of talent, and I feel like – there have been some weird things that have happened with Brent Venables since he took over and things that just make you go, is this going to take a minute for him to really get this under his belt and understand what's going on? Um, whether that's the case or not, again, who knows? But I looked at Texas and I said, first and foremost, and I, people laughed at me for this one, but there's elite talent on offense. That's very obvious. Bijan yeah. and Xavier are obviously. Um, Quinn Ewers is coming in. Sure, he hasn't played, but – 
kind of the same thing with the offensive line. Like if, if the, those two things can really kind of mesh, I think that offense can be really good. What, what I said was, if you looked at Rice, Tech, TCU, and the first half of Oklahoma last year, I know those defenses weren't the best defenses in the world. TCU, fairly good. But that's what Steve Sarkeesian's offense can be. And I think that, to me, was the most important thing offensively, was you looked at the way that offense clicked there, and before Casey Thompson hurt his thumb, all those things. I know maybe it gets worse, maybe it doesn't. Who knows? But the way that offense clicked, to me, was what Steve Sarkeesian believes this offense can be every year at Texas. So if you get that going, I looked at the defense and I said, okay, Pete Kwiatkowski was really bad in year one at Washington, then got better and better and better. But he's got a little help over his shoulder now. Gary Patterson knows this league better than anybody else. Maybe Mike Gundy, but but Gary Patterson, uh, top to bottom, knows this league better than anyone. Knows the defenses, how defenses should play in this league. And I just felt like when you combine all of those things together, Texas will have an opportunity to win the league this year. Um, I don't think it's crazy outlandish because of the way this league is structured this year because some of the teams that may be a little down – because I don't trust Spencer Sanders. Um, I don't either. I, don't I, either. I just – I never have. Um, watching him another year, I don't I don't know that that's going to change anything. Um, you know, obviously Baylor was really good last year, and they will probably be very good this year. Texas gets them at home. I just think there are opportunities for Texas to uh, take that next step. They were so close in so many games last year. And um, I don't know. I just, I, I just think it's going to happen. I wasn't doing it as a – Ha ha, here's a joke. You know what? Like, I fully do believe oh, you're going you to win this. the Big 12. I do mean it. And, uh, but the, the bigger part is, and this may take some investigative research on y'all's part, can we find the other idiot? Because there were two media members that voted Texas number one, and I know I'm one of them, but I don't know who the other one is. So I'm hoping at some point he or she will come out. Actually, I've been there's trying. actually three. There's uh, a, a coach voted. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's well. right. And he hasn't come forth either. Who was that? I mean, who do we think that was? I had a list of three people. I thought it, it Saban didn't – maybe Saban, but that didn't make a lot of sense. That's my guy. That's my yeah, guy. Yeah, but, I mean, I, does he really need to motivate his – oh, look, this team got a number one vote. I don't think they care about that. Um, Stan Drayton at Temple, maybe. Uh, and I don't know who has votes either. This is the other thing when I was naming names. But Tra- Stan Drayton. Does Tractor Tractor Trailer has a vote. UTSA. He didn't vote. But his people told me he wasn't the one. Okay, and then Spav. I mean, he said he had him high. He didn't say how high. That was the yeah, only he, other one. Was, was he kind of dodged the question. One person <laughs> also, uh, Joey McGuire at Tech, I was told he wasn't the one that voted number okay. one. Stan Drayton's yeah. people at Temple didn't get back to me. Uh, neither did Sonny Dykes at SMU. Another one, yeah. I I've think DM'd that person him. typed in Texas and just forgot the A&M part. Oh, I, I will say this, whoever the other two people are, if Texas wins the big 12 or wins the national championship, you'll hear from them. I promise. Yeah, you're, yeah, right. Hey, exactly. you're right, Bob. You're right. Let's talk about these quarterbacks. Uh, okay. Very unorthodox announcement from, from Sark through John Bianco that it's going to be Quinn yours. And uh, before we dive into that, let's hear what he said uh, when Kirk asked him about the decision. So how was Quinn better? Um, you know, Quinn can make all the throws. Um, I feel very comfortable about that. I feel comfortable about his playmaking ability. Um, I, I feel like his growth in the system uh, has been one where we can really kind of see where it's going to head under him, and I'm um, excited about it. 
He makes all the throws. He's got talent. He he does have Hudson Card on his leadership council. That's an interesting dynamic, but Quinn Ewers isn't. So um, what did you think of the decision, Bob? Were you surprised? I wasn't. We've been we've been saying Quinn Ewers all, all, all since the spring, but were you surprised at the decision? Or were you surprised he made it so early? So I went back and looked at my scripts, actually, in my shows to make sure I got the dates right. December 12th, I believe, was the day Quinn Ewers committed uh, to Texas. I wrote, you don't bring Quinn Ewers to Texas to sit him on the bench. And then April 17th, I wrote, I don't believe you bring Quinn Ewers to Texas to sit him on the bench. And I'm going to keep saying that until he starts and takes the first snap September 3rd against Louisiana Monroe. So I was never surprised. And quite honestly, with some of the reports that started coming out about how Hudson had taken the lead and it might be Hudson's job and they, they might name Hudson and all that stuff, it almost kind of reassured me in a sense because if you want to do anything as a coach or as a, as a source or whatever it is, you want to send smoke signals the wrong way. And, uh, and that's always a, a fun part of the, the sourcing game and what a lot of people go through. I didn't mind the way he announced it either. I think there were some people maybe a little frustrated by it, but he knew it was going to come out and it was going to either leak out through a media member at some point or he could just come down and tell us all. And so I didn't mind that either. Um, I was not surprised. I, I just think – a little bit like last year now, and, and I don't want to diminish, I'll come back to this. I don't want to diminish it. So I'll come back to that part. A little bit like last year when you had Hudson and Casey and you had two guys who in practice in scrimmages looked fairly even, or you felt like they were fairly even. You feel like you need to give the ball to the younger guy who has four years left and can, if he's that good, can develop into your guy. And all of a sudden Hudson cards, a freshman, all American. And he, he, Texas goes to the Big 12 championship game or whatever it is, and you see the potential in him. In a little bit similar way, if they really felt like Quinn and Hudson were equals or close to it, you go with Quinn Ewers. He's the guy that has the perfect recruiting rating. He's the guy with all the hype. He's the guy that can lead you to for the next two years before he maybe turns pro. Younger. That, you, you look at that stuff, right? Um, that said, what I say I don't want to diminish, I don't want to diminish the fact that Quinn Ewers won this job that it was not handed to him on December 12th. It was not handed to him when he came in in January. It wasn't handed to him in spring practice. That whatever the coaches asked, whatever happened in this situation, Quinn Ewers won the starting quarterback job. It was not handed to him. And I think that's a very important distinction, especially when you're trying to establish a culture in a program. Because if in practice, Hudson Card is outplaying Quinn Ewers every single day and they decide to start Quinn Ewers, that creates to me – somewhat of a fraction in the locker room because everyone goes, well, I'm I'm not outplaying this other guy. Why aren't I starting? Right. So you have to win the job. And I feel like Quinn Ewers had to have done that in some ways to to at least continue to establish the culture that Sark wants to establish. Yeah, the worst thing you can do is play favorites, obviously, especially at a position that important. Uh, Yeah, I I guess we were a little surprised when – uh, John Bianco, the PR guy, uh, told us after uh, uh, interviews with the players on Friday, he said, oh, by the way, Quinn Ewers is the guy. And we're all thinking, oh, ha-ha, very funny. He's no, no, I'm serious. So then we all tweeted out. And uh, we since learned that, uh, that he told both quarterbacks after Friday's practice uh, privately, didn't tell the team, didn't announce it to the team, because partly the scrimmage the next day, you know, he figured Quinn's taking most, if not all, the number one reps. 
uh, with the number one team. So that's going to leak out. So, I, you know, we all know how coaches hate it when stuff leaks out. They want to control the narrative. One thing I like Kirk to- on that Kirk on yeah. that point, I think that was really important too. I really do think that part of it is important that he was able to privately tell the quarterbacks first, yes. that then the team could know, so that it wasn't this a source somewhere said it was Quinn. Now it's Quinn, and then he has to go tell them guys. Yeah, what he got to tell them specifically, guys. Here's the decision I've made, and our staff right. has made. Let's move forward. So, so, what do you two think of the repercussions as far as this goes? Because if he does gone with Hudson Card a second time and say he fizzled early. He's like, oh, my God, what, what are you doing? You're repeating history. And if you do the, the the freshman Quinn Ewers guide, basically a true freshman, it should be a, you know, a true freshman in college right now since you skipped your senior year at high school. So, you know, how big is this risk? How big is it a gamble that either needed to win the Big 12 or be, be pretty damn good so they go have a good year and go to a bowl game? Well, I, I, what what the message is sent to me, guys, is I think that I think Sark sees the 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 upside of Quinn Yours and the lack of upside for Hudson Card. Hudson Card, this is his third year on campus, and mm-hmm. you're not. I mean, you won that job and you had it for a hot minute, and you didn't get it back. And so, I think he believes that he can take this particular quarterback and win some games right now and next year as Arch serves his apprenticeship or blows us away and wins the job from Quinn Ewers. So um, I'm glad you brought that up because what it does, in my mind, it puts Hudson Card in decision-making mode. Do I jump ship and transfer or do I take inventory and graduate from the uh, McCombs school, business school, get my degree and and stick around because I'm from Lake Travis. I'm not poor. I'm not a poor kid. So I have options. And to that end, you know, I asked Sark about uh, Hudson Card's mindset now that he knows he's the backup. After uh, Vince left, um, history of quarterback here, there, there have been really no Iron Man, with the exception of maybe Sam. Uh, have you gotten that point across to Hudson that alleviate some of that? Steve, after uh, Vince left, um, history of quarterback here, there, there have been really no Iron Man, with the exception of maybe Sam. Uh, have you gotten that point across to Hudson that you know, quarterbacks get hurt in college football and he's got to be at the ready? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that. Um... You know, it goes without saying, but sometimes when you're put in that position and you're in a you're in a really contested battle, and the other guy gets named the starter, you know, you can you can lose sight of potential opportunities and things that are in front of you. And um, we did make that point to Hudson, um, and and made that very clear. You know, Hudson's job is to compete still every day, and to either make Quinn better or pass him. And, and I, I, don't, I expect nothing less of Hudson to do that. But the reality of it is playing quarterback in this day and age, it's hard to go through an entire season unscathed. And what, like I said, whether it's one play, one drive, one game, you know, two games, whatever that looks like, um, you've got to be prepared because the worst thing that can happen to you is your number get called and you're not prepared. And that's, that's one of the worst feelings. And so, um, but like I said, with Hudson, um, who he is as a person, what he's made up of, I expect nothing less for him to be prepared if, if his number gets called. 
So staying at the ready, Bob, means, you know, they don't have they haven't had Iron Man here. Sammy played a lot of games, but Sammy got hurt. Cole played a lot of games, but Cole got hurt. David Ash just couldn't stay on the field. Vince Young is the only last real Iron Man they've had. So I believe, and Kirk and I spoke today at the, I mean, on Wednesday at the um, Headliners Club in front of 200 people. We previewed the season with Ed Clemens. And I told him, they're both going to play this year. Hudson Card's going to get to play football this year because quarterbacks get hurt. But, Bob, do you think he has the maturity level to be ready like Casey Thompson was when his number is called? Yeah, I, I think the most important thing that Sark said <clears throat> when we talked to him about the quarterbacks was that Quinn Ewers can make all the throws. And I thought that was most important because he did not say that about Hudson. And, and our good friend John High over at Fox oh, oh, wow. kind of went after Sark about that and said, you know, you're saying Quinn can make all the throws. Can Hudson not make all the throws? And Sark kind of avoided the question. Now, well, don't put words in my mouth. Yeah, he said, don't put words in my didn't. mouth. John didn't. He also words. didn't say Hudson can make all the throws. And I think no. that's so important. Bobby right. had a chance. He had a and chance. Yeah. To go, well, Hudson can make all the throws too, but he didn't. And and that's okay though. Like it's it's not. It would have been okay for Sark to say Hudson can't make every single throw he wanted to make. Everybody has a deficiency. It's not the end of the world when, when somebody has a deficiency. It's okay. Um, sure. But I, you know, even watching that open practice, it just seems like the ball comes out of Quinn's arm a little different. It's a little sharper. It's a little heated. That's, that, that's it. And in, and in this in this offense. It's predicated on hitting that deep ball. And and Quinn seems so good at doing that. Um, and we haven't seen enough. I don't know if he is or not. We'll see if he can do it in a game. That's where it's going to be most important. But at least right now, it seems that way. Um, and, and I do think that's what was most important of all in, in all of this was they think Quinn gives them what they want in this offense. The quarterback, the elite potential of a quarterback in this offense and I don't know that Hudson has the elite potential in this offense. And whether that ends up being the case or not, listen, if they go with Hudson and he beats Louisiana Monroe 38-17, and then they play Alabama and he just looks he looks terrible, and then they've got to bring in Quinn late, it is, like you said, it's literally repeating history. It's Wrong the exact day. same thing as a year ago, and you start falling into the same traps as a year ago. So I, I, think, I think Sark made the right decision with Quinn Ewers for what he wants out of his offense and for the elite playmaking potential that Quinn brings to the table. And here's the question guys too, is like how short or long is that leash? And I would usually, I would usually say, yeah, I would usually say a long leash, but when you go five and seven, that shortens the leash a little bit. If, if it is up and down and he's mentioned growing pains, he has uh, all week uh, and he's going to have it. He hasn't thrown a pass in college, not one. You know, he's been on the field right, maybe two snaps at Ohio State. So Bigger if, he, if he struggles, I'm thinking he won't wait too long where he goes to Hudson Card because can, can Sark survive another five and seven or six and six season? I can't, I can't survive another five and seven. I don't even work. I'm not even a coach. But I'm going to tell you, it's different this year than it was last year. It is. Because the guy that was the backup, last year lit up the Alamo Bowl and those Colorado Buffaloes for four touchdown passes and looked good doing it, which led us to think he's going to be a starter. 
He had I a, there was no doubt. I thought there was no I doubt. I did too. I thought that he was he was a quarterback's quarterback. Lived in the film room, was the son of a quarterback, and so we were shocked when he got that job. When he didn't get but that, that was under Herman, remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, Mark wasn't here two years ago, and so um, he knew what he was getting. Sark did knew what he was getting. If if I pull the plug on Hudson. I know I've got a guy who's made plays in a football game. Now Hudson hasn't had, doesn't have that kind of skin on the wall. And so for me, I think that means the leash is going to be longer for Queen. And, and I don't, I don't know that when you talk about a leash, I mean, you think about, they're going to play Louisiana Monroe. It should they're be going to play, fairly, in that you know, game. but I don't know that they will. I mean, they will, if it gets, if it's a blowout, but I just mean, Hudson's not going to play the third series. Hudson's no, not going to play no. the sixth series. It'll Second be half. late. Second half. Um, and and then they're going to play Alabama and probably get beat. By, who knows? But they're probably going to get beat by Alabama. And then they they play UTSA, who's who's obviously much better. Maybe that's a trap game, whatever you want to call it. But I think that that two of the first three games are going to give Quinn enough experience of successful football that 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 leash will be extended even a little longer, just because it won't be as hard for him to be successful in two of those three games. Mm-hmm. And now again, if he comes out against Alabama and throws four picks or five picks on the first five or six series, we're looking at something different. But um, I, I just think if you're looking at this from a long-term base, I think Quinn will give uh, Sark will give Quinn every chance in the world to, uh, to get better, to improve over the first five, six games, and then we'll kind of reevaluate at some point after that. So, so what do you, what do you think the keys? We we exhausted the quarterback situation. Is there one or two keys for you, Bob, uh, that this season kind of hinges on? Yeah, and, and I want to say one thing about the quarterback, and I'll move on from it. I promise. I think at some point, maybe not this year, but at some point, Malik Murphy will play an important role in this program. I just want that really? out. Really explain that. Year. I think maybe it's as a maybe it's as a backup, and then he comes in or whatever it is. I a think it's. I think Malik Murphy is going to be an important role in this program at some point. Where when that is, I don't know. Maybe it's next year, but yeah. I, I think he's talented enough to make that happen. Um, the two keys for me this year, uh, I I think they just they've got to be better defensively. Um, there has to be more cohesion back there. I think it's going to be hard for there not to be as as poor as last year was. Um, but I think for for Pete Quitkowski to take a step with that defense, uh, they don't need to be a top ten defense. If they can be a top 50 defense, that will be a marked improvement from last year. And I think that's enough for, for this team to be special. And then I just think it's avoiding the injury bug. I think Bijan needs to stay healthy. I think Roshan, I think Xavier, the, the talent, Jordan Whittington, the guys on offense that will make or break this year. Uh, Kelvin Banks needs to stay healthy. There you I think go. Those, if I'm going to name five guys on offense that need to stay healthy. That's them. That's them. That's and. Them. Um, you know, they, they've, they've already lost two starters in Isaiah Nayor and, and Junior Angalau. You can't keep losing starters. The no. depth isn't here yet. It's coming. You can see it. You can see the freshman coming in, but it's not here yet. And he's got to have that depth to build the program. And mm-hmm. so these guys can't keep getting hurt. You've got to have your starters that are experienced at least be able to kind of hold the line for a little bit for this team to be successful this year. Offensive line is mine, number, yeah. number one. Keep keep that young quarterback safe, and and open up enough holes that be that they don't have to run Bijan Robinson into the ground. Um, that's big. Kelvin Banks, while wow, you hit on him, he's a grown ass man already. 
Um, love him. Lo- love the look. Um, that number one hundredth defense. You got to be sixty fifth, sixty eighth. That's the thing. It doesn't have to be incredible, right? You, give, just, you gave up four hundred twenty five a game. If you give up three eighty, three ninety, you're gonna win eight games. You're going to win eight games if you give up 380 or 390. 380 to 390 is, is, a, is top three or four in the Big 12. You got to do that. And so uh, my biggest concern is the defense. Uh, those, those old dudes up front got to play up to their age. Snacks, Colburn, um, Devondre Sweat, Moro Ojimo, Vernon Broaden, uh, those guys, Alfred Collins, they that's the old crew. They gotta get they gotta play old if they're gonna be old. And um we're past time for potential. Remember how we were talking about oh man, these guys are gonna be great when they're older. Okay, we're here. What are you gonna do? And they need to help carry this load early in the season while this kid gets his sea legs at quarterback, or else they're gonna be in trouble. Duck. Is is there a big game? Uh, obviously, OU and Alabama. Is is there any game on the schedule for either one of you? I, I worry a little bit about the Texas Tech game, uh, game four. You know, it's a couple games after Alabama. We talked at headliners how they can't get beat up in that game and lose more starters. But, you know, I wonder if they might sleepwalk going out to Lubbock. Put, what did they hang, 70 on them last year? Got a new 35. Yeah, you know, so I worry about because crazy stuff happens in Lubbock. How about you guys? Is there another game besides Alabama and OU that kind of has you concerned for Longhorns? Stillwater, Stillwater always. Well, they won like eight out of twelve. Stillwater, Cowboys. I guess guess y'all just aren't going to say Lawrence. They haven't beaten Kansas in a thousand days, so. Ooh, too soon. Too anyway. soon, Bob. How about that, though? They, they, I, I didn't even, that didn't even process it. They really haven't beaten Kansas in like 900 days or whatever the number is because it was canceled in nice. 2020, and then they, they beat them in 2019. Um, I, I think they've got to beat Baylor at home. I think that's the one for me that they, they have to win that game if they're going to if they're wow. going to get themselves for the Big 12 title. Yeah. Yeah. They, have to, they have to win that game. So you got them winning the Big 12. Are you talking 10-2 and two here? 11 and one. I, and I think nine. No, I think nine and three is enough. I, th- I think they're going to lose to Alabama most likely. And that puts them at a two loss conference schedule. And as we've seen over the last few years in this conference, two losses, that gets not you in. necessarily, but it probably gets you into the title game. Get and so in. I think they can lose two and, and still get in. This might be the year, right? A two loss team gets in that championship game. Oh yeah. Into the playoff. Yeah. Maybe yeah. The playoff. You never know. Who's your national champion, Bob? Alabama, because how can you ever pick against them? What do you? What, I am. Whatever I'm happens. Ohio State. <laughs> I pick Alabama too, Bobby B. Just Alabama, until they lose, or Georgia, Alabama. whatever, whichever one you want to pick. But Alabama, Alabama over Ohio, over Ohio State for the championship. Alabama. Yeah, yeah. We're yeah. so it's going to be the second time in like three seasons that the national champion is going to play at DKR. The problem is it's not Texas. That's the problem. That's it's just gonna, it's just crazy that Alabama and Texas are going to play twice this year. That's just going to be nuts. <laughs> it's, I mean, uh, it's crazy. Absolutely, I hope so. I hope you're right. <laughs> and and Bob, when do you have Texas and OU in the SEC? When oh, do you think- I don't know. Like 2030. Now, uh, <laughs> the way this thing keeps going, I I thought it would be this year. When this whole thing came down last summer, I was like, Did you just this will be a year and they'll be done. This will be quick. Everything's oh. quick now. Whenever when something happens, it's over. Like that's it, and we just move on. And then you. 
But, um, you know, with, with OU not not willing to pay the, the money to get out, I think it's going to be until the contract's up. So I think 2024. God, I hope not. I, I hope not. not. I'm I hoping one more be. year in the Big 12 after next I year. May, I may be dead by then. I just, man, I just hope not. But before <laughs> we go, Bob, we run out of time here. Uh, you do a great thing every year. That You just had the eighth year of the Under Blue Skies Golf Classic and Party. Big, big time golf tournament that raised uh, big money for a- the ALS Association of Texas. Give our listeners and, and viewers um, a little background on that before we get out of here. Yeah, I, just real quick. I was I, I had no connection to ALS. Uh, I was a I, I was excited to get on the board in 2013 after emceeing some walks and kept kept asking them more I, what more I could do. And they told me I had to raise fifteen hundred dollars and I had no idea how I was going to do it. And we started a golf tournament and the first year we raised fourteen thousand dollars on a Monday. We went from 14 to 34 to 66 to 70. And when we got to 70, we said, what can we do more to grow this thing? And I had seen JDRF type one diabetes does a great job. And we had seen, they did a Friday golf tournament and a Friday night party. We turned it into that raised 154,000 COVID hit. So we kind of like backed off a little bit, but we still raised about that amount of money. And then this year for our eighth year, we raised $260,000. So We've raised $925,000. Hopefully, if we, wow. with God willing, we'll go over the million-dollar mark next year in our ninth year. And I'm just – I'm blessed to be a part of the ALS Association of Texas and fighting for our patients and fighting for research in the state of Texas. Go fight the good fight. That's awesome, Bob. Man, we just love having you. Don't be a stranger anymore, okay? Will do, guys. Always love chatting with you guys, and uh, let's do it again soon. Later, brother. What a great conversation with Bob Ballou. There's a reason why he's one of the most popular uh, per, uh, sports uh, TV personalities in the state. Just dropping knowledge and giving us a great view of how he goes about his day-to-day, Duck. Even if he did pick Texas, the one that they called it. Maybe Don't he hold it against him. Hey, let's hope he's right. Let's hope he's right as we creep Ever so close to that season opener against Louisiana Monroe. The next time you hear from us, we are going to be in preview mode, Duck, for the opener. And uh, that's when all the fun starts. We're, we're, we're a week and some change from Louisiana Monroe, two weeks and some change from Alabama. It's getting fun, and we're going to be here to document it as we go along with some named guests just like Bob Ballou. That's going to do it for episode 269 of On Second Thought. For the Duck Kirk Bowles, I'm Seth Golden. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com. Join Seth and Kirk every Thursday at lunch for a new episode. Archived episodes are available on iTunes and Google Android Play. 